Amen. Joshua chapter 6 tonight is where we'll be. Joshua chapter 6. I appreciate that special music tonight. I should have just kept singing and I wouldn't have had to preach. Joshua chapter 6. Last week we looked at Joshua 5 and how God had some specific plans for the nation of Israel to be set apart for his purposes. And this new generation of Israelites, if you will, uh, were raised up in, a place, uh, in the place of an unbelieving generation. This group of Israelites, as, we're gonna, as we saw last week, were marked by radical obedience. And uh, God is going to place them in a position as we end chapter 5. Uh, where they are forced to trust him. They're across the Jordan River, and they have landed right smack in front of the biggest city and the most fortified city in Canaan, the city of Jericho. And uh, this was a difficult place to be, but it was a good place for them to be because that's where they were going to learn to trust God. And um, I was, as I listened to Pastor Coleman's uh, message from last week, I was reminded how many times can I look back and I can see where God brought me to a point of total dependence on him. And that's where I began to see God really work in my life. And that's what we're going to, part of what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to see, we, we saw radical obedience in chapter 5, and tonight we saw, we're going to see radical victory. Uh, this is a, a very familiar story, um, if you, especially if you grew up in church, but don't assume that you have all the facts on this story. I was um, reading the story about this preacher who was visiting uh, he was a new pastor at a church, and he was visiting some Sunday school classes. He just decided to pop in and see what they were learning about. And oddly enough, he ended up in the sixth grade boys' Sunday school class. It's a terrifying place to be. Am I right, Miss Deanna? Um, so he popped in, and he listened. They were talking about the Old Testament. And he interrupted, and he said, All right, fellas, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And it was silent like it is right now. All of a sudden, a couple of boys timidly raised their hands, and they said, we don't know who it was, but we promise it wasn't us. <laughs> and the pastor kind of like stepped away. He was kind of astonished at their lack of biblical knowledge. And he looked at the Sunday school teacher, and this kind of, he asked the Sunday school teacher, do you, you got anything to say about this? And the Sunday school teacher looked at the pastor and said, well, I've known these boys all my life. I don't think they're going to lie now, so I just say I believe them. <laughs> I believe when they say they didn't do it. And so this, naturally, this, this really messed with the pastor, and so he called a leadership meeting. And he talked to the chairman of the deacons, and um, he explained the whole situation, told the whole story. And the deacon looked at him and said, Pastor, I can tell that this is really bothering you. I've known these boys all my life. <laughs> I don't think they're going to start lying now, so I believe them. I believe what they say. I can tell it bothers you, so let's just take some money out of the maintenance fund and build that wall back up and be done with it. So don't assume, when you talk about the story of Jericho, don't assume that everybody knows what we're talking about. So let's look in chapter 6, start reading. You know, that was the number one search when I Googled funny sermon illustrations about Jericho. I'm, not, I'm really not smart enough to make that one up. That was a good one. And honestly, I, it took me a minute to get it. I read that three times, and I was like, that's not funny. And then when I realized how funny it was, I hee-hawed. I hee-hawed laughed. That was good. Chapter 6, verse 1. Let's start reading. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. 
total lockdown. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpet. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people will shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Let's skip down to verse 20. So the people shouted, when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, and every man straight before him, and they took the city. Let's go to verse 25 now. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Let's pray really quick. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I'm, you know my heart. I'm much more comfortable over there than I am right here. But Lord, uh, tonight I have the opportunity to open up your word. And Lord, I, I thank you for what you've taught me just in the last couple of weeks of reading through this and studying this. Lord, I pray that you would um, guard my words. Let me say only the things that need to be said. Lord, help me, something that's said tonight, that, to encourage our church, to challenge our church, to trust you. Lord, thank you that, that you have given us a plan for victory in your word, and that you want us to live in victory. Uh, be with everything that's said and done, may it be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to go through most of the chapter tonight, uh, but those are some of the key verses that we're going to look at. But let's go back to verse 1. It says, Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. The Israelites were not really prepared to defeat Jericho at this time, although Joshua was a, a great military strategist. They weren't ready. If you remember in chapter 5, they were still healing. And so they were chosen for this purpose, but Jericho was going to be a tough battle right out of the gate. Jericho was situated directly in the center of a valley that separated uh, the north and the south. This city was so important that Israel could not simply go around Jericho. They were going to have to go through them. And Jericho had to be conquered first. Once it was defeated, then it would become more difficult for enemy forces to come together. It's kind of like taking the head off the snake, if you will. Jericho is known as the oldest city in the world in Joshua's time, and it was surrounded by a system of two massive stone walls. The outer wall was six feet thick and about 20 feet high, and the inner wall was about 12 feet thick and was about 30 feet high. Between the walls was a guarded walkway about 15 feet wide. Israel's problem was that they had a city to conquer, but they were, there were some extremely huge walls in the way. It was said that these walls were wide enough that two chariots, think about this, two chariots side by side, could ride along the top of the walls. A place like this could withstand this type of siege for months. Guards standing high would be prepared in towers with bows. They would be ready to pour out uh, hot oil or dump large boulders down on enemy wars, warriors who would try to scale these walls or push through it with a battering ram. This was a challenge that God had placed in front of them that only God could win. That takes us to verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. I have given. 
It was past tense. It was already done. It was in God's plan. It was as good as done. The Lord had prepared Joshua for this fight, and the victory was already assured. It reminds me of that verse in Romans 8, 37. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We have the power to go into the spiritual battles, which we will face. This is about strongholds. We will face those battles. We will have walls to conquer ourselves in our lives, but we have the Holy Spirit power to do so. Let's look at verse 3. And ye shall come past the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets. That's verse 5. And it shall come to pass when they shall make a long blast with the ram horn. And when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all of the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. There were some specific, very specific instructions that were happening around here. They were going to mount, march around the city one day. These priests were going to march before them with ram horns. And the Ark of the Covenant, that Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God literally in the midst of his people. After they had marched around the city, which was about half a mile, so really half an hour, essentially marching around at a decent speed, once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they were to march seven times. Not eight, not six, but seven times specifically. And then shout. Then the wall would fall down flat, signifying that these great walls built up would crumble immediately and completely. This was a plan for victory, whereby it had to be God. This was something, obviously, that God could have done without Israel's help at all. But God has given Israel the chance to partner in the work that he had that day. Let's look at verse 6. And Joshua called the priests and said unto them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the People. And he said to the people, Pass on and come past the city, and let him that is armed pass before the Ark of the Lord. He gathers the people up here and to discuss this great battle plan. It was an unusual plan, it was a, but it was also a unique plan. But it was also an unbeatable plan because it was God's plan. The order of this marching would be soldiers, priests with ram horns, the ark, and then more soldiers, and then the people of Israel. The ark being in the middle was a representation of God's presence with the Israelites. He was going to go with them into battle. He had already promised that, and he had already promised the victory. They, there would be complete silence around the walls. Can you imagine the intimidation of the Israelites just walking around the city in silence, aside from the trumpets? How weird would that be to watch that happening, to watch them walking and marching but saying nothing, nothing at all? That was, these were specific instructions given by God. You don't say a word. Verse 8, And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew the trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant followed, followed them. And the armed men went before the priests and blew at the trumpets, and, and the rearward, this is the rear guard, came after the ark, the priest going on, and the, and the blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth. I think they get the point. Don't say anything. The ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp, and they lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. You see what's happening here. They're doing exactly what Joshua has commanded. 
when uh, these people don't, Joshua didn't hesitate when the Lord gave the command, and the people didn't hesitate when Joshua gave the command. Often our delays to obey God show that we really don't believe Him. The people of Israel did not delay in the beginning. They were all in. It took courage for Israel to do this for six days straight. Israel was wide open to attack during this time. And it could have been easy for the people of Jericho to attack them from the high position of the walls. It also took endurance for this. The march was for six days. and They had to persist in something that didn't make sense. This plan did not make sense, but they were obeying. And they were being obedient. And they were following through in what God had commanded. In this, the helplessness of Israel was revealed. Through six days of silent marching, they had a good look at the walls that seemed to be impenetrable. They knew that this battle was way bigger than they were. Verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and they compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout! Before the Lord had given you the city, and this city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. And they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Verse, we read verse 20 already. So the people shouted with the priest, and the priest blew the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, and every man straight before him, and took the city. Imagine the noise after being silent for six days. Imagine the noise that you can muster up in your body with all the confidence in God that they had. That noise had to have been deafening. This was not a noise of preparing for war. This was a noise of victory. And I was trying to think of what this would be like. And the, the illustration that came to my mind was if you played sports in high school, maybe you played in a state championship or played in a conference championship of some sort, when you got pumped up to go outside and go, or to go on the court, you were in the locker room getting pumped up. We had one guy, I remember, uh, his name was Brian. He always wanted us to be silent in the locker room. It was so awkward. He would turn the lights out, and he would just play like, you know, of course, we went to a Christian school. We'd play like all the illegal music in the locker room. We had to play it, we had to play it quiet, though, so we didn't get in trouble. So we're in a room, a dark room with all the lights off, and everybody, all a bunch of dudes sitting in the floor listening to music we weren't supposed to be listening to at a very low volume. You can see it didn't really help us very much getting ready for the game. But the noise of preparing for war is different than the noise after you've already won the battle. They knew that the battle had already been won. They shouted with a different kind of shout for victory. Verse 17, we see the word accursed here a lot. These Jer Jericho's pagan items and idols were to be destroyed with fire and not touched. They had been used in demonic worship and they were to be burned. Silver, gold, brass, and iron were consecrated unto the Lord. These were the first fruits to him. All the valuables that they had belonged to God, and Jericho itself was the first fruits of Canaan. This was all set apart for God's use now. Verse 20 says, The walls fell down flat. The miracle was 
beyond real what normal expectations were. No other city had been conquered this way. Israel could not depend on prior experience for this victory. They had to solely depend on God. And I've said this before to friends when we talk about uh, some of the things that Ashley's been through and how the Lord carried us. But to my fault, I act surprised when God does these things. You shouldn't act surprised when God comes through and provides in a supernatural way. That's what He does. He is God. We should not act surprised. We should act grateful. And it should build our faith, and it does, but we shouldn't act surprised. The wall fell down flat. Obviously, this had to have been surprising to the people of Jericho. Let's look at verse 22. But Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out, the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as she swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and all their family. Verse 24, they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. In verse 25, we already read, Joshua saved Rahab's family and she was absorbed into the Israelites. Joshua intends to follow through on his word. He'd promised Rahab that if she, that because of the actions that she took, that God would spare her and they would come in and save her. And that's exactly what they did. All of her family got out of the city and it was the only place left standing after the walls came down. That's another miracle of God right there. The Israelites followed through with their orders. Verse 24, they're, they're, again, they're, they're following through with full obedience. They burned the city with fire and all that was therein. Verse 25, Rahab was absorbed into the Israelites because of her faith and her actions. And then verse 26, Joshua puts this curse on Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man that before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city, Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. What he's saying here is that whoever tried to rebuild this city will lose all their children in the interim time between the laying of the foundation and the completion of the walls. If you turn to 1 Kings 16, you don't have to turn right now, but they will be on the screen. 1 Kings 16, 34. It says, In his days did Hiel the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram his firstborn, and he set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Joshua. This happened. Exactly the way that Joshua said it would. Why did, why did he build? Either he was unaware of the prophetic warning that Joshua had given, or maybe he didn't believe or didn't care, but this is what followed through. Verse 27, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Um, Joshua 1.5, this is a fulfillment of Joshua 1.5, and it says, There shall not any man be able to stand before all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. What a promise to hear from God himself. Who wouldn't want to go into battle after that? The very next verse he's commanded in Joshua 1, the very next verse is, he's commanded to be strong and of good courage. And Joshua fulfilled that calling. I want to look at just three quick things tonight um, from this text and apply it to principles in our life. We all face strongholds. We all are going to face battles that seem out of our hands. What can we do like the Israelites did to, to help us gain victory in our life? I see three things here. Number one, total surrender. Total surrender. This total surrender didn't start in chapter 6. 
It started earlier in chapter 5 when Joshua met the captain of the Lord of hosts. We know that this was uh, a pres- the presence of the Lord himself speaking to Joshua. And Joshua realizes this is the Lord. We see Joshua's immediate response. What does he do? He falls down and he worships. He understands his place. And you remember the, the thing that he says to him before is, are you for our adversaries or are you for us? And the captain of the Lord of hosts says, I'm for neither. And Joshua realizes that he needs to make sure this is the test to see if he's on the Lord's side and if Israel is on the Lord's side. And Joshua loses, loses his sandals there. Um, but why did, why did Jesus show up at Israel at this, at this strategic time? He had come to instruct Joshua in the plan to capture Jericho. Joshua's going to carry out this plan in the following chapter, and it is so improbable that it can only have been initiated at the direct command of God. But most of all, I love this point, I read this, most of all, he had come to conquer Israel. Before Israel could conquer anything else in the promised land, they had to be conquered by God. And Joshua's total submission shows that they are conquered by him. This is the missing element in the life of victory for many Christians. They've not been and they have are not continually being conquered by God. Joshua was a great military strategist, and no doubt he had been working on plans probably to, for what they were going to do. And God took those plans and he changed them. His ways are much higher than our ways. What does surrender look like for us in the life of a believer? We surrender our will to his. Not what I want, but what you want, Lord. Jesus was the perfect example of this. In John 6, 38, Jesus said this, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Luke twenty two forty two, 42. Jesus' humanity and his deity are colliding in the garden with one another, and he submits to the will of his Father. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. We surrender our plan for his. I've made up my mind to do what you want, not what I want to do. If, if surrendering our will is giving up our control of mind and heart, then surrendering our plan is giving up control of our actions. Joshua did both of these things in his leadership of Israel. He trusted the promises of God from way before that God would be faithful to his word now. When I give up control of my mind and my heart and my actions, then something else must take control. We relinquish control to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we walk under Holy Spirit control, that's how we can start walking in that victory and have victory over those strongholds. Um, David Jeremiah said this, a compliant heart is the ultimate condition for success. Number one, total surrender. Number two, total obedience. Not only was there total surrender, but there was total obedience. Think about the plan that God was giving here. It didn't seem to make sense, did it? Uh, the Lord would tell Joshua, the, the military guru, to do something way different that didn't make sense, that more than likely should get everybody killed. But what is their response? They obeyed. And they didn't just obey. They obeyed wholly and they obeyed immediately. Believing and obeying always run side by side. Faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. This is from Charles Spurgeon. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. Obedience is the hallmark of faith. Think about the manner in which they had to obey. They had to walk day by day. Joshua gave these instructions day by day, and they obeyed one step at a time. But something that struck me is I had to read a little more on was the silence. Why the silence? Um, imagine the, the, the taunting they probably would have received from the armies of Jericho. 
Ridicule is hard to endure when no one doubt when one doubts the wisdom of the course being followed. What would be the most stringent test for a nation notorious for its murmuring and complaining? Would it not be the discipline of silence? Unbridled criticism and airing of doubts would soon paralyze the nerve of faith. They would have talked themselves out of faith on the first day, for unbelief is unbelievably contagious. I've seen that in my own life. I can talk myself out of anything that I want to. I can convince myself of that. But Israel, for lack of a better term, they kept their mouth shut and they followed God. If this week's, if the week's schedule was a test of their patience, then the divine command of silence was a test of their self-control. People who can't control their tongues can't control their bodies. James 3 tells us that. And what good are soldiers whose bodies are not disciplined? Be still and know that I am God. That's in Psalm 46. In the Christian's life, there's a time to be silent, a time to speak. That's in Ecclesiastes. And wise is the child of God who knows the difference. Our Lord is the perfect example of this. Isaiah 53, 7 tells us that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened and not his mouth. Matthew 26, 62 and 63, Jesus' trial, it repeatedly says he answered them not. This isn't the only time where Scripture, where God gave unconventional instructions. Think about the story of Abraham taking Isaac. Abraham had been promised that his seed was going to number as the sand on the shore, but God was calling Abraham to give up his promised son, Isaac. Abraham obeyed, and God spared his son. Think about uh, the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5. A powerful Syrian army commander, he comes down and he's a leper, and he didn't want to go into the dirty river. He was better than that, as he was instructed to do to be healed, but he eventually obeyed and was healed. These small steps of obedience led to life-changing victory in their lives. There's plenty more stories about how God used specific, unusual instructions for people to walk by faith, but he rewarded their actions. We're going to see the the life of Rahab and how that uh, principle played out. But how are we to gain victory in this world and in this Christian life? We have to obey the revelation given to us already. For lack of a better term to call it, think of it as a live instruction manual. I hate instruction manuals. I'm so bad at putting things together. I was, I'm just not, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. What you see right here is about all that I'm good at, okay? <laughs> when we first got married, we lived in Pensacola, Florida. We had this little dinky house that had palmetto bugs in it. You see, you know what palmetto bugs are, but they're about the size of that screen, and they fly a thousand miles an hour at your face, and they live in your home all the time. And we, when we first got married, of course, you have no money when you get married, and our little TV sat in our living room on a stack of two-liter Pepsi crates with a quilt over top of it. That quilt, it looked like it was from the 1840s. It probably belonged on the wall of a Cracker Barrel. It was ugly as sin. And I remember being at home one day, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the reins as a man. I'm going to go buy a TV stand. I'm going to put it together. So I did so at, at, the, at the local Walmarts. And I came home, and... I started putting that TV stand together, and I tore into the, the box like a four-year-old, and um, you know, the instruction manual obviously flew behind me somewhere because I never looked for it, never looked at it. And about three hours later, I was just, I was just sweating. 
three hours later, putting together a simple TV stand, and um, I was my TV was laying face down in the floor after I got it. Tried to get the TV stand put together. It didn't work because the TV ended up in the floor. I ended up face down in the floor. And I called my friend, who's my roommate. He lived a couple doors down. His name was Dean. And I said, Dean, you got to help me, man. I can't figure this out. This is like a $50 TV stand. <laughs> I, I'm doing something wrong, man. And I, I got to get this fix, fixed before Ashley gets home. And as, as loving friends do, he looked at me and he said, you, you idiot. <laughs> I put the TV stand together upside down. Because I didn't follow the instructions. It's a stupid example, but the principle is the same. We've been given instructions. If we don't, if we don't even recognize or acknowledge them, if it, sits, if it sits dusty on your shelf at home until next Sunday, we're not heeding the instructions. If you read the instructions but don't put any action behind them, we're not heeding the instructions. We're not obeying. God has given us this instruction manual. This manual has every answer that we need for our lives to be able to walk into the Spirit. These specific instructions from God for the Israelites included burning the city down, setting apart certain things for the Lord's use, but also staying far away from the accursed thing. One wrong move, and the battle could have been handed over, to have been over completely for Israel if they had not obeyed completely and wholly. Number one, there's total surrender, there's total obedience, and finally, there's total victory. Verse 20, it says, The, fall, the wall fell down flat. Uh, in 1990, an archaeologist named Brian Wood excavated the site where the city of Jericho had once stood, and he published his findings. These were just a few of his findings that he found. The city was indeed strongly fortified. The battle took place after the harvest because there were pots filled with charred, charred grain, and there was no way to flee from this city. Remember verse 1, it says, no, nobody came in and nobody got to go out. The siege was short. The walls were leveled and fell outward. They fell flat. The city was not plundered. The city was indeed burned, and the wood and grain were charred. This tells us that what God said would happen absolutely happened. The walls of Jericho fell down flat and outward. In all of, but in all of this destruction, there's a special story of grace and redemption. Look at verse 25. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's house and all that she had. All of Jericho had heard about the God of Israel. Let me read from Joshua chapter 2 really quickly. Verse 8, it'll be on the screen for you here. And before they were laid down, she came up to them upon the roof, and she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when he came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. It wasn't in a good way. It was out of fear. Neither did there any remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is in heaven above and in earth beneath. That statement is what allowed Rahab to be put in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. Only Rahab responded positively in faith towards God with that knowledge. Jericho had a chance to respond and, and turn toward the living God. Even in the land that God was giving him, there was mercy. Rahab's faith was rewarded. She married an Israelite man and became eventually the great-great-grandmother of somebody named David. And God took that and wove, wove her into the thread of the ancestry of Jesus. 
None of that would have happened if there had not been total surrender, total obedience. What is it going to take for you and I to see victory in our lives? The same battles that you face are not the same battles that I face, but the plan is the same. It's going to take total surrender, total obedience. Gosh, I fail at it so often. I, I fail so often. We're going to face these strongholds or Jerichos in our lives. We hear people talking about shouting the walls down in your life, but there's no shouting with the walls down until there's a silent walk around Jericho. There's no silent walk around Jericho until there are steps of obedience taken by gathering the ark. And there's no steps around the walls until there is a moment of surrender when Joshua faced the Lord, loosened his shoes, and worshiped. This moment was a moment of total surrender. Victory in our lives can be forged when we take small, daily steps of obedience. You can be victorious in your Christian life. It doesn't have to be a life of defeat. It doesn't have to be a life of constant doubt and fear. God has given us a plan to have victory in our lives, and it starts with surrender and obedience. Pastor? With our heads bowed and our eyes.